There is absolutely no grief without love. If you're grieving something, it's because there was love. It's just a cycle, right? So there is no easy unless you've experienced difficulty. Hey everyone, Emily Abadi here coming to you with episode 178 from the AG studio. You are listening to Hurdle, a wellness-focused podcast where I connect with everyone from your favorite athletes to top experts and industry CEOs about their highest highs, toughest moments, and everything in between. We all go through hurdles in life, and my goal through these discussions is to empower you to better navigate yours and move with intention so that you can stride toward your own big potential. And of course, have some fun along the way. Today, I am chatting with Taryn Toomey. She is the founder and CEO of The Class. Now, this episode felt really special to me as I talk about in our chat today. The Class, which is often described as a workout for your emotions, it really, really helped me through some dark times. I'm talking a breakup, the pandemic, you know the vibes. And so the craziest thing about this for me really is that truthfully, the first time I took the class, I thought it was absolutely ludicrous. But I went back and I went back and I got in on their digital streaming platform, which I'll link to in the show notes. And before I knew it, I craved the emotional release that I got in these classes. You've heard about the class before, likely, because maybe you've listened to Natalie Kuhn's episode of Hurdle. I'll also link to that in the show notes. But today, Taryn and I talk about how this whole thing came to be, how she came up with the concept and the method that is used in the class, how she has learned to silence the quote-unquote haters and trust her gut. And she, like me, goes back to her why and knows that if she can help just one person, then what she is doing is worth all of this energy. We also talk about how she's navigated some difficult times in her past, leaning into movement. And we also address how to do that in a healthy way, right? Many of us lean into movement and it can get to be a little detrimental if that is our only outlet. So we talk about how to find some balance and some harmony in that. I really just appreciated Taryn's openness, her attitude, and I'm so, so happy to bring you this conversation. I do want to make sure that I take a second here to call out an upcoming event that I have at the Chicago Marathon this weekend, Saturday morning with Tracksmith at 9 a.m. at the Chicago Athletic Association. We're going to be doing a live podcast, and I would love to see you there. The link to get in on the action and register is in the show notes. Make sure you're following along with Hurdle over on social media. It's at Hurdle Podcast. I am over at Emily Abadi. And with that, let's get to hurdling. Today, I am sitting down with Taryn Toomey. She's the founder of The Class. How are you doing today, Taryn? I'm alive. (laughs) (laughs) It seems, sometimes I feel like when someone says something like that, like I'm alive, there's like a deeper context that like you're alive, but fill in the blank. What's the fill in the blank for you today? I am exhausted. Okay. <laughs> so I'm alive, but I'm like, I'm here, I'm doing it. I have just been 
doing way too much output over the last two weeks. And I think this post-pandemic world, putting too much output and not pausing, it's just, it leads to that exhaustion inside and in your bones. And that's kind of where I'm at, but I'm here and I'm aware of it. So um, yeah. And where is here today? Here is in, well, I'm sitting in a phone booth in my office in Tribeca. (laughs) (laughs) So you and I are close, but still spread out at the moment. I am a stone's throw away in Fort Greene. However, I have been to the class in Tribeca before, and I'm so excited to expose the hurdlers to all that is the class. So just Mm -hmm. to kick us off here today, why don't you give a little bit of context as to what the class is? Okay. That's always the question that I get skipped up on, which is so strange because it's been around for nine years with a name and 11 without, uh, for the first years didn't have one. So I, it's a mat based workout. It's music driven. We start every class by standing, closing the eyes and placing your hands on your body and just acknowledging that your mind has a function. It creates thought. And you just acknowledge what you're thinking, and then you begin with movements. We'll repeat one movement for an entire song and invite the student to close their eyes and observe what their mind does about the feeling in their body. And after a while, you get to know your tendencies by the teacher just holding a space for you to observe your own thought patterns. And through a whole series of different movements from jumping jacks into long bridges and contractions and expansions, um, flushing the body, making sound, bringing the energy from the inside of the body outside with a series of, you know, either breathing or loud huzz, breaking up energy um, uh, and breaking up thought. You're given the space to allow yourself to reconnect to a different uh, part of yourself that's usually a bit more connected and balanced. And uh people have found it to be very, very cathartic. And it's kind of an all in one, you know, it's a it's moving meditation, because you're aware of thinking as you're moving. It's fun, it's expressive. It can be very healing. Once you acknowledge how long you've been thinking certain things that have been really kind of self destructive thinking or negative self talk and all that, and uh, really giving it a space to, to move out of your body. So you have have a deeper sense of space for peace and joy. We like peace and joy. It's uh, I remember the first time before I took the class in person, I would say this is about maybe three or four years ago. And the way that it was originally described to me was that it would be like a quote unquote workout for my feelings. Would mm. you co-sign that statement? Yeah, it's it, absolutely. There is this kind of ringing out of the physical body that then allows you access to thinking and then differentiate thinking and feeling. So for sure, there's this like ringing out quality of the physical body that that's where your feelings reside in your body. So yeah, I've heard it the two different words, work out for your feelings. And that's true. Like you work them out. It's, you know, there's different ways to work, work out feelings. You can talk them out. You can take a long, beautiful Epsom salt bath and have them, you know, somatically drained and pulled out of the physical body, or you can make sound, acknowledge them and then express them in a non-judgmental space. Like, yes. 
Right, right. It's so it's so funny because I mean, and I feel as though you for sure probably hear so many stories of individuals who come for their first time and like maybe have an idea about what their experience is going to be like and then come back and come back and come back and well, at first, maybe they would be, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here, perhaps a little resistant to yep. what happens in the class as time goes on and they become more immersed in the perhaps self-acceptance of being willing to let go on that level. They start to reap more from the class. 100%. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> as you become more willing. And it's the, it's the interesting thing about the class, because when I first launched it with the name of the class, because I couldn't think of what to name it, because it, it is to each person what it is. Some people, it's just a really great physical workout. And they start there. And then after doing it for a while, they start to have this different sense of connection to what it feels like when you let go. But that willingness to go there has to be key. So when people would hear about the class, you know, people would make fun of it or say something like, oh, yeah, that's the place you go and people cry or you do six minutes of burpees and you cry like, no, thank you. But it, it's just there's the willingness to go in and be curious about it. And that's the key for me that for life is like the curiosity, because really what judgment is, is the opposite of that. And if you're not curious, there's no space for you to experience something that could have a revelatory aspect to it or a new way of thinking or being or a new creative pathway for your own sense of evolution of what your you know journey through this lifetime can potentially be. Um, that's a long-winded answer of saying, yes, um, <laughs> it, 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 yes, it's the willingness has to be there. And then you, you can, you reap what you sow. Totally. You reap what you sow. I, also think it could be helpful. I mean, you just provided a little bit of context referencing, you know, six minutes of burpees and some yelling, but why don't you, before we move on and dive a little bit into your backstory, talk to us a little bit about what a quote unquote typical class could look like. So you'll start on your mat, hands on body, chin drops to chest, and then the teacher gets everyone in the room and now on the digital platform, just present. So it's simply following the breath in, following it out, following it in, following it out. And then a song will come on that's usually a bit gentle just so you can feel the sensations of your lungs pressing and widening the rib cage, really getting very present by feeling the sensations inside your body. And then the first song will come on. We usually have a little bit of beat to it. We'll start squatting on the beat. The room is usually synthesized, everybody's moving in tandem, and or you can stand there and breathe. You can't do the class wrong, and that's constantly thread throughout the entire practice, that if you want to do something different, you do it. And that's the beautiful thing, is that when you start doing that, you notice other people do as well, and then it just leads into this whole thing where you start to learn how to be in your own practice in a group of other people. Anyway. Then the second song will probably be something along a big sound, long uh, song of jumping jacks that's very fiery, creating some heat in the body or skaters back and forth, some sort of a cardiovascular move just to get the heart pumping. And then after that will probably be a, a, a short song just to reestablish your connection to standing hands back on body. Notice what you notice. Notice what's coming through. Notice what's coming up. And then maybe another round of... Um, some sort of cardio it could be mountain climbers and then we'll move down to the mat um, it's all it's it's one movement per song so each song has a certain energy 
And the move itself is uh, intentionally placed with that to either contract really deeply or expand really widely. And that's that ringing out quality that we're talking about where you contract and then you flush, contract and flush. Um, after a series of contractions, you may do a long butt move, a long abdominal move, um, probably bring it back into another cardio song, um, come back down to the mat again, something a little bit quieter, notice what you notice again, how the conversation within yourself has shifted, constantly bringing uh, the attention to the sensations inside the body, and then notice any emotion that may be attached to the feeling. And then we'll do a long song of burpees. And the burpees is the intention of that is really to get some of the sound from the guts moving out because now you're embodied, you're self-aware that you can practice any way you want. There's enough heat in the body. You're aware of your thinking, you're aware of the feelings, and now it's time to give those feelings a place to aerate and express out of the body. So hands will come down, you'll jump back, you'll jump forward. And then as, as you jump up, we'll throw the arms down toward the mat and make a sound that usually sounds like, huh. so it's a sound that's like a huh from the guts. And it's interesting because a lot of times people talk about this class being screaming. There's no screaming in class. Screaming to me is a sign that there's something wrong. And it's quite the opposite, that you're so engaged with what you're doing and you're just you're discerning the difference between fight or flight. There's something wrong. I got to get out of here or I'm going to get in my body so deeply that I can give this thing that needs to move a place to go and do it. And that's the hoes. And then you'll do usually a long sound of shaking the body and jumping jacks, usually quite euphoric. Another song with hands on the body. Notice what you notice, stillness. And then we'll come down. We'll do what is uh, the heart opening and heart clearing series where the arms are wide. We end every class in that, really connecting to the sacred space of your heart and accessing the space where you can find the truth of love, uh, not blinded by the, the idea of love, but the truth of love in your own heart, very much self with self. Uh, that's oftentimes where people will have an experience where they'll pass tears or joy or something because it's just this experience of experiencing yourself with self and what the power of that is. And then we'll move into a uh, on the back, rest, stretch, a short meditation, and then move on to the day. So from a movement POV, it I would describe the class, and please tell me <laughs> if you disagree, but maybe something kind of like cardio meets Pilates from the movement side of things. Yeah, it has a it's it's plyometrics, isometric holds, um, pulsing. So we'll move into you know, you'll you'll do a butt move where you're kind of pulsing the leg for a while, right? And then mm -hmm. another one would be a long, deep isometric hold for four minutes. So, yes, some Pilates in there, but it's very, you know, and, and cardiovascular for sure. A little bit of kind of almost hit because of the way that mm. we're working the, um, the heart rate. You know, we'll do long kind of anywhere from like six to 12 minutes of cardio and then come down and do the deeper contracting and then back into the cardio. So. Right. Right. Well, just to share a little bit about my experience with the class again, I had taken it, like I said, a few years back and had been in person a slew of times. And it wasn't until uh, the pandemic, and I'm sure you've heard tales of this specifically over the last 16, 18 months, but I was dealing with a little bit of an injury where I had to lean away from running and look to other outlets to navigate both 
getting in my regular movement practice, but also navigating my emotions during this as mm-hmm. people love to term it unforeseen time. And mm-hmm. it was in doing the class within my apartment and wondering, oh my God, what my neighbors were thinking as I released this energy that I started to even more so look into the benefits of expressing in that way. And although we won't call it yelling or screaming, perhaps, uh, or even shouting, you know, there's so much research about how letting go of, you know, your inhibitions and, and, you know, making a noise in that way can trigger some endorphins that create a natural high similar to the high that many would articulate as a runner's high, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And in doing that and in expressing in that way, I felt as though for the first time over and over and over again, as it continued on and I continued to take the class that I was, uh, navigating and dealing with the anxieties that I didn't know how to articulate in the real world. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. That really resonates. I understand that on a very deep level, because if you think about just from a real practical reality sense that you have a body and you live inside your body and that is where thoughts and feelings are, right? That's where you, you have the thoughts that those are the sounds inside your body are thoughts, right? And then feelings are the felt sense of feelings and then emotions and all that's all inside your body. And if you're not able to find the orifices or whatever it is, the sound or sweat, mm-hmm. the ways to release the energy from in, the inside of the body, things feel very dense and heavy. And that shows up as depression or anxiety. And, and then we can't figure out how to articulate what we're actually feeling because it's so dense. So if you think about just from, it's, it, this goes back centuries, just expressing energy from the inside of the body so things can be lighter, so you can think clearer, you can have more sense of presence, which is the way that I self-regulate, especially when I'm in fear, be present right here. I'm here right now, right? Everything is just, it, it's just lighter and it's easier to navigate. And I think that what you were saying about, you know, the complexities of figuring out where the anxiety is, what it's from. I mean, we've been through what, you know, we can call it all these different word logos, like unprecedented times, all these things that are, yeah, but it's true. (laughs) So being able to just not have to know what it is and just make sound allows so much more space for one to actually find words to then articulate. And then from the words and the realization, then you can take action, right? And then the whole thing starts to flow more. You feel less stuck. Yeah. Oh, feeling less stuck was certainly the goal for me, at least at the very beginning of the pandemic. Now, you mentioned uh, the idea of kind of expressing yourself from a young age. How did you express yourself? Oh, I was always told to like, you know, sit down and be quiet. (laughs) I remember I, I used to get in trouble all the time when I was in middle school because I would ask a friend that was next to me, if I could massage their hands 
while I sat because I always had to have this like somatic feedback. I mean, now like my kids have fidgets, which drive me absolutely nuts. So not only from like the sustainability portion of like, oh, great. Now let's have like a billion children buying obsessive amounts of plastic toys so they can end up in the sea <laughs> so they can self-regulate this anxiety. But like, it's a similar thing. So I would always find myself massaging or hopping around or just, you know, acting out, you know, talking too much and all that kind of stuff, which I had to learn how to, you know, regulate, especially uh, now, which the people joke inside the company sometimes that I'm the, I'm the CDO, the chief distraction officer, because I, I have a lot of energy, but um, I, I, I always loved movement. Sports were a huge part of my life. I always gravitated toward anything where I can go get outside, hiking, rolling around in the grass, like all of that stuff. Since I was little, I remember being a really good regulatory kind of self-regulating tool for me. Um, and yeah, so movement's always been, been, a, been a way for me because I did realize too that I could very much burn myself out and relationships around me if I didn't have a proper way to express the kind of fire that was in inside my body, you know? Right, right. And so it wasn't right off the bat as you came of age that you knew that you wanted to figure out a way to make movement a part of your career or even fathom something like the class. In fact, you started out your career working as a sales executive at Ralph Lauren, right? Well, funny enough, I started out my fitness career when I moved to Florida when I was 17. And I went to a local gym and I had been playing sports. I lived in New England. I bounced around a bunch when I was, when I was growing up. So it's always kind of different schools and all that. And I was always really upset every time I've changed schools because they wouldn't have the sport that I was practicing at the, at the school before. So I found it to be very kind of unstabilizing for or destabilizing for me. So I started picking up running and I started doing all these other things that I knew I could always do. And when I moved to Florida, I was just running a bunch and I went to the local gym and I wanted to teach aerobics. And this woman, Holly was the aerobics director then. And this other gentleman, Saul, that was a trainer there, like big Saul, like trainer, you know, like definitely <laughs> on, on all of the like protein programs and all of that. The name Saul like demands that kind of like Saul. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> who, who is our general counsel? Who's our lawyer who's been with me for like eight years. So it's so funny. Oh, the the Saul's God. in our life. But um, so he... I started talking to him and I said, I really want to teach. And Holly was like, she, she's not certified and all this stuff. And he was like, there's something in that girl. I would take her under your wing. So she started teaching me how to teach sub aerobics. Saul started teaching me how to train the body. So I would do every morning I would show up on an empty stomach. I would take 1500 milligrams of L-carnitine to push your sword fat into your mitochondria, which acts like the furnace for your sword fat. So I'd do that every morning. And then I'd come back in the afternoon after school. And he would teach me about the different muscle groups and how to train them separately. And then I started teaching step aerobics. So that was my entry to the fitness world. And I'd always, I, so I, I taught for a bunch of years. And um, then I started working at the Ralph Lauren store while I was teaching um, aerobics actually up in uh, in Sag Harbor when I was really like you know, 22 years ago and started working at the Ralph Lauren store and then built my way through working in their stores into a job in the city um, as an assistant and then just worked the corporate ladder that way. So 
uh, it wasn't actually starting as a sales executive. It was, you know, a, a very windy path, but that's what I ended up in, in the world of account executive and wholesale sales there. And then jumped and started uh, working at Dior for six months um, and then did a yoga teacher training and all these other series of events happened that led me to creating the class. It's so interesting. A couple of things to double click on here. First and foremost, uh, the resourcefulness from a young age of telling yourself, well, if I'm just going to keep switching schools and they're not going to have the sport that the last school had, then I guess I should just start running. A lot of people would have maybe made an excuse or some other, you know, whatnot to just skip out on movement altogether. So it seems as though from a young age, movement was a priority. Yeah, it really was. I, I, I had a, a very, very dysfunctional upbringing and there was a lot of uh, things that created a lot of fear in me. And uh, when I reflect on it, and especially now having children of my own, I understand why that fear was there. But I found that the way that I was able to feel connected and safe was when I was moving. So I didn't know it at the time, but uh, yeah. It definitely is interesting. I think I have a lot of resilience. A lot of school of life kind of came through me through all of my years of all the things we've experienced, which we all have. But, um, you know, I do think that you start to the more hurdles in, you know, speaking of to you that you have to jump and navigate the more that you the more resilient you get. Sometimes that resilience can work against you. Right. Sometimes you need to know when to say I need some support and help and, and be able to surrender to, you know, a higher power or whatever it is. But um, I've learned that in my, in my, <laughs> I'm 43 next month, but, you know, sometimes being resilient your whole life, you need spaces to, to not have to be resilient in order to continue to carry forward with that piece that I was talking about earlier. Talk to me about how you felt in your body as you started to work here in New York full-time? Hmm, that's an interesting question. Well, I was in my early 20s, so I was definitely using New York City for what people use it for. <laughs> and, uh, you know, was running around, living, living, you know, living, you know, the 9.30 p.m. dinners on the weekends where you just, like, sleep all weekend kind of stuff. Actually, that's not true. I still – I wake up at 5 no matter what time I go to bed. Um, even then. But – it was, uh, you know, the city has a, an energy to it. I really think that the city is meant for driving and creating and kind of churning it out and all of that. So I feel like that was good for me because I was able to be in that current where you just go, you get it, you know, you keep going. So I think if I were to move to the city now, the feeling that I would have in my body is probably like, whoa, I need to find a balance you know, which is what I feel right now. But that, but back then, I don't really remember feeling any anything other than this was where I was supposed to be. Right, right. As you got more acquainted with living here and kind of the hustle and the bustle and the nine thirty dinners, were you making the same time or commitment to a movement practice, or were you looking into alternatives? What kind of spoke to you at that time? Oh, it was a. I moved probably six times a week, sometimes seven, but you know, for me, and I don't think, I think overtraining is a, is a thing. And I do think a rest day days when they're placed in a specific way, especially are, are super important. But for me, 
having a movement practice helped me self-regulate. So that's why sometimes it'd be seven. But I was a member at, I remember I used to do the spin classes way back in the day, wake up at 5.30, go to the gym, spin. And then this is when I was working at Ralph Lauren and then go back get dressed, blow dry the sweat out of my hair, put on one of their like, you know, cable knit sweaters and be sweating on the plane, uh, on the train up to work because I, I couldn't cool down from my morning workouts. That's what stands out. So it would be a lot of that spinning in the morning before work just to get it out. And it's interesting. One of the things that I always noticed about myself at the end of the day that all I was obsessed with from five to six o'clock is getting out of there at six every day so I could make a 6.30 yoga class down in Tribeca. And if I was 6.05, I wouldn't make it. And it, and I noticed and kind of put a pin in that in myself early on that that was the thing I looked forward to every day. Right, right. I, wa- I would love to touch on what you mentioned at the beginning of that, which was recognizing now the importance of a rest day. I'm sure that women reach out to you about this. They certainly reach out to me about this, about loving movement for the same reasons that you and I do in that it helps clear our head. It helps us kind of focus on the rest of our day to day. It's giving back to our bodies. But in appreciating that feeling, it can be easy almost to kind of get caught up in it so much so that some don't offer their bodies that rest that maybe they need and they're not sure where to lean in for another outlet to provide that same solace. So the follow-up questions here, two-part. One, did you ever have a time in your life where you kind of had to realize and be honest with yourself about the need for more rest? And the second part would be, what advice do you have for individuals who maybe struggle with this? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, the answer to question one is that just this past year, honestly, yeah, um, is when I've realized that because I've always been the one that gathers people and brings the energy. And, you know, I love getting people together, even like the early days of the class, I would just have these big potlucks all the time and be like, come over, bring something like always just. And I think it's actually, it's, this is also answering part of the second question, which I think addiction is real to things that are not just what the normal addictions are, you know, that people think about of like, like whether it's an alcohol or a drug or sex and love or whatever it is, like, addictions to workouts, addictions, like if, if you think about what that is, it's oftentimes that you're covering up something that's so much deeper. And if you're using movement as a way to support a deeper connection of a, of a sense of self, that's one thing. But if you're using it because you just don't want to look at something or there's something bigger that's underneath it, that's when there's a time to pause and have a conversation with yourself around that and what part of you you need to talk to. Because I think for me, when I, it's, it's always the moving and the gathering, it's that the part of me that was getting really active around that was a really young part that needed to be told by myself that like, it's okay, you can sit by yourself and be alone and you can take care of yourself. You're an adult now. You can pay your own bills. You've created your own life, you know, and like, I have to have that conversation. 
So I think that's what sometimes that overexercise or overmoving does, unless it's something that you're doing where you're moving to self-reflect or to explore or to create a creative opening or something. But um, if you're doing it because you're distracting yourself or if you're hooked into the external feedback of the world, which is quite twisted right now, of what you should or should not look like, then that's when I would ask that question, you know? I mean, and that's all of what we explore in the class is identifying the difference between the internal and the external. And when you're living in the feedback of the external world and you're waiting for the external world to validate your worth and then try to figure out how to fit into what the external world tells you, it's going to be a really challenging journey through this ride in this lifetime. taking a break from today's episode to talk to you about my sponsor at Gooder. Gooder makes some of my favorite running sunglasses. They are no bounce, all polarized, and a lot of fun. Now, I lean into some of my favorite styles from the $9 pour over, the donkey goggles, the electric Dinotopia carnival. These are real names here for everything from running down to Brooklyn Bridge Park to heading out to navigate some errands. I mean, literally, these are my go-tos, a must-have in my bag. Of course, they're great not just because they look cool, but because they're also super affordable. Gooder sunglasses start at just $25 and it gets even better because I've got an exclusive discount for you. Head on over to gooder.com slash hurdle. That's G-O-O-D-R.com slash hurdle and use the code hurdle15 for 15% off. Again, that's gooder.com slash hurdle. Use the code hurdle15 for 15% off today. I also want to give some love to my sponsor at AG1 from Athletic Greens. AG1 has 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, plus prebiotics, probiotics, adaptogens, and superfoods. It helps to boost my energy and gives me the mental clarity I need to navigate my ever-growing to-do list. When I started taking Athletic Greens, I not only noticed a difference in the amount of attention that I have to give to my everyday tasks, but I also saw improvements in things like my skin, my hair, my nails, and from a fitness POV, I feel like I now recover quicker to perform the next day. So many benefits to this one sweet sip and all-in-one daily scoop in my regular routine. If you're not on the AG1 from Athletic Greens train just yet, now is the time. Head on over to athleticgreens.com slash hurdle and get some awesome freebies with your first purchase. I'm talking a year's supply of vitamin D as well as five free travel packs. Again, the link athleticgreens.com slash hurdle to get in on all of these perks today. No code necessary. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it's tiring and it seems like now would definitely be an appropriate time to talk about some of the ways that maybe you have come to manage stress because, I mean, admitting yourself that over the last year, certainly trying to find some sort of a balance between moving to serve and maybe moving a little too much to cope, um, I can certainly relate to that. So for you, when it comes to managing stress, 
what approach would you offer to someone to better manage their stress that isn't only movement-based? Yeah, I mean, I think it can't only be movement-based, right? And step one with stress is the awareness. It's the, the awareness that you're stressed out. What does that look like for you? Is that anxiety? Is that depression? Is that overeating? Is that gossip? Whatever it is, right? Flag it, that this is something that's saying this alarm clock or this signal or this fire bell is going off, you know? And then figure out what that stress is coming from. And I think that if, you know, for me, I cry, you know, that is a good pass. When I'm feeling really stressed out, I will go sit on, I have a harmonium at home and I sit down and I'll play and I'll make some sounds. And oftentimes I'll just let my body pass some tears. And for me, that's, you know, it's not because I'm sad or happy or whatever. It's just, it's, it's how I'm able to process some of that stress. I think it's super important to get out of our devices. Like it's super important to get out of our devices and the way that people are managing this exhaustion that is it stress is exhaustion or is it complacency or is it lack of movement, right? Identifying what that stress is. Sometimes stress is actually that you just haven't moved your body and it needs to usher some energy. So move the body. Sometimes stress is that you're super exhausted. And to me, exhaustion is shutting down the flow of external feedback. Put your phone away, close your computer, go lay down in your bed or on the floor for 20 minutes, put an alarm on if you need and close your eyes and just breathe, right? So you're just giving the body, the mind, a space to get quiet. And I think that it's so simple that we don't do it. It's just like, oh, I'm stressed out, you know? No, just do it and then reflect on if it helped. And if it helped, put it in your toolbox and do it every day like you drink water. Right. You know, find these little things that shut down the flow. And I think so many of us struggle with sitting in that stillness right? In allowing ourselves to be consumed by the silence rather than making, you know, an effort to keep moving, keep going, especially, I mean, you and I, both New Yorkers, like it's just part of our culture, but to figure out how to get more comfortable in that way and to, to tell yourself that it's okay that it feels uncomfortable, right? Because I think that's where a lot of people struggle at the beginning with learning how to sit still, so to speak, and sitting in that silence. It's being scared of having to navigate the feelings that come up when we allow ourselves to do that. Yeah. You're actually having to deal with yourself, <laughs> right? <laughs> and that's what like movement is, or like if you're using movement, in the way I'm not just talking about physical exercise, I mean movement, like constantly, like always out with someone or constantly like texting people or like all of this type of like moving energy, right? And yeah. as opposed to having to actually sit and experience your own thinking. And the thing about that, that's all the consciousness practice. And that's a huge part of the class, right? It's a movement where you're actually actively conscious of your what you're thinking as opposed to moving so you don't have to think or have somebody tell you what to think or whatever. So that step one, being aware of what stillness brings and be what we talked about earlier, willing to be okay with the thoughts because it's just a thought, right? And you can either stay with the thought and let the thought go into a thousand places of fear cycles of what is going to happen, 
or you can just watch the thoughts from a space of observation and realize you're okay. You're present and you're just watching your thoughts. And in that is all of this beautiful information. And if we can't get to that place where we're comfortable just observing it and being okay with like, oh, this thing is still here and view it as information as opposed to allowing those thoughts to just wreak havoc on your peace, you know, it's, it's a different type of, of time. But when those thoughts can be acknowledged, then oftentimes those thoughts move on. It's like, it's, it's like the young child in the back that's like screaming, having a temper tantrum inside of you. Like, please listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. And like, oftentimes experiences in our life show up again and again and again. And it's like, why does this thing keep happening to me? It's like, it's that young child in you that's like, are you listening to me? Right? So until you give this, give yourself the space to listen to it, it's going to keep perpetuating the thing. And then that's the anxiety. And then that's all the more, you know, so it's, that space is so important. And yes, it's uncomfortable, especially because we live in a world where we're constantly bombarded with, this is what you should be. This is how you should do it. Look at this over here. Let me, but this thing is happening over here. And you you know, it's like, sit down, get quiet, pause. For you at the beginning of the pandemic, even though you have certainly in your practice gotten to be better at sitting (laughs) in the silence, did you still find it to be truly difficult considering all that was going on around you in your world? Yeah, it was pretty horrible. (laughs) You know, I mean, I was having to, I was, you know, I was having massive waves of frightening feelings coming through. And I was feeling very alone and I was aware that that was how I was feeling, which is what gave me the ability to be okay with it. Right. I think sometimes it's helpful for many, regardless of, you know, marital status, geographic location, background, to hear from someone like you who often, you know, talks about the benefits perhaps of of being okay with being with yourself and hearing that that doesn't mean that it's always going to be easy. Oh, uh, quite the opposite, right? That's, it's, it's, it's such an interesting point. It's always going to be easy. It's what is easy, right? It's the next thing is like, what actually fulfills you? What, what creates a balance inside yourself so you can understand the unique blueprint of your soul and express that outwardly, which opens up the space for you to end up in these feedback cycles of things that actually feel fulfilling because they're connected to a deeper sense of yourself. And the idea that things should be easy, hard, better, worse, good, bad, it's actually taking out the idea that you have a preference, right? We all have a preference, right? I want to feel light. I want to feel happy. I want to feel joy. But it's it's having the preference and then hooking into that it should only be that way. That's when you're just living in like an illusionary sense of, it, it's the polarities. There is absolutely no grief without love. If you're grieving something, it's because there was love. It's just a cycle, right? So there is no easy unless you've experienced difficulty. 
And there is no difficulty unless you've experienced what light is. So just being okay with the different cycles and being aware of where you are in that cycle of rebirth something inside yourself of what whatever it looks like, aware of where you're at. And that's why I say I, I was feeling terrified and I was aware I was feeling terrified. And I think reflection is such a powerful tool that you can reflect on the times that you felt really, really happy and really, really terrified. And you can probably go into a hundred of those and just acknowledge where you're at, know it's going to shift, be open and willing to learn what it is that's coming through you in that period of time. So that way you can use it to evolve yourself. That's the evolutionary process, right? Yeah. And it doesn't mean that these moments aren't going to be emotional because you understand the importance of having some grace with yourself and that these things come and go and fluctuate in waves. But I, I hear you in that it can be really difficult in these moments to kind of like find that grounding. But once you start to recognize that you are capable of doing so and you get out of your own way to recognize that, that is just like, I mean, I would say it's a superpower. Yeah. And it doesn't just like, you don't just like put it in your tool belt and it's there. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a practice, you know, and that's the thing, you know, it, as you practice things, they become easier and then you become your practice. It's like, but you have to have that like daily, you know, willingness to do it. It's like, and it, it and then it's in you, you know? Yeah. But, but I, it's not, it's not easy. It's something I still struggle with every day, but it's, it's incredibly powerful and I'm aware of that. So I practice, you know? Right. And it's powerful to share that as well. Now I'd be remiss if I didn't at least give a little bit of airtime here for us to talk about you going through yoga teacher training and after that uh, kind of concepting or starting the class, which we touched on a little bit before. So talk to me about the decision to go through yoga teacher training. Yeah, I was at Dior and I was there for six months and it was a satellite you know, office that was working for a French company and I have to go over there for market. It was just kind of like different than my years at Ralph Lauren, which it's neither here nor there. I just was like, I, 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 I went over here thinking that like, let's just open up a new space, a new creative space. And I just felt myself even more unhappy and feeling more disconnected. I didn't know if it was like the, the company or the time of life. And I was interested in, in going back to Ralph Lauren. And there was this yoga teacher training with this woman, Allison West, who was one of my teachers, teachers at the time that um, was launching a training and it was starting in January. And I said, you know, I'm going to resign. I'm going to do this training. And then I'm going to, um, I was back in conversations with Ralph Lauren and just, you know, take a month to do this and then move back into fashion. And I finished the training. I absolutely loved it. That month of just diving in. I'm such a girl that loves like blending science and spirituality. So studying something for me was really awesome. And then I was like, you know what, let me just give this a couple weeks to try to figure out you know, if, if I actually want to teach, it's such a conundrum. You have to teach to learn to teach and find your voice and all that. Um, and then right after I started teaching a little bit in New York, my children's father, Mark, Mark was the same, got transferred 
to Boston for work. So we moved to Boston, which basically took out my ability to go back to fashion unless I wanted to find something in Boston. So when I was, I just started teaching yoga in Boston and I, I taught for about two years. That's really when I found my kind of teaching style. I always had this very, uh, always music driven, always been a music person since I could remember. So I would really use different kind of music to, to bring people, you know, through a flow and then um, got pregnant with my first daughter up there 10 days before she, I had her, we got moved back to New York, moved back to New York, um, wanted to teach at a local yoga studio for a woman that had passed away named Mama Kia in her memory um, and just donate the money from the yoga studio to her children that she left behind. She had adopted, she had a children's home in Peru. Uh, and then I ended up finding out that that was, the class was not going to get put on the schedule one day. So I just decided that I was going to teach what is now the class in a room in my building, which was then a storage closet. Um, and then we just ask the students at the end of every month, if they would donate to her children and, um, just kind of developed this way of moving in that space. It first started with some weights cause it was three of us. And then there were too many of us. So it evolved into, we all moved at the, on the same beat, you know, and from there we, uh, just, it grew and it grew out of that room. And then after about two years, I, I, uh, started renting a, a studio out of, uh, a kid's dance factory on the street and just, you know, kept growing from that space. So it was never really, you know, going to be what it, it was supposed to be what it is today. It just was kept moving <laughs> through me and I kept saying yes, but, um, it was really blending all the things that I've always learned throughout my life and loved, you know, I, 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 am an efficient person. I like to get a lot of things done at once. So <laughs> I was blending community with music, with like deep holding, contracting, refreshing, cardiovascular and changing, you know, really getting the body physically strong while having a consciousness practice, a space to express, to be together in community, to have a non-judgmental space, you know, where you don't turn to your neighbor if they're having an emotional breakthrough and be like, are you okay? You just like hold the space for them to process that, you know? Um, so that's, you know, and then here we are today. And then here we are today. Earlier, toward the beginning of the recording, you made reference to those people who may say the class is just a bunch of weird burpees with some yelling. How did you learn to let those people have their opinion about the thing that you have built and continue building regardless of that opinion? Well... I took it on as truth and then I self-hated, um, which is my story in my whole life. So I realized that that internal self-hate negative stuff was getting really activated and I would go to class and teach and process it out of my body. And in that, I realized that I was now becoming very meta where I was able to have a sense of uh, acknowledging that what the external world was doing, making fun of me, doing all the things they would do, how I would use it as truth. And then I would hate myself. Mm. And I realized that I wanted to unlearn that behavior because I had a daughter and I don't ever want either of my children to have to experience the things that I have done and said to myself inside myself. So I really, really, really had a drive in me to break this chain, which I feel is very much deeply embedded in my 
my family in both sides, my masculine and feminine, um, you know, paternal, maternal. Um, and I would just keep going because there was something in me that was like, I needed to break this, this thing. Um, I'm still very sensitive around it. It's, it's still very hard for me. I, uh, it's a daily practice, but I think that's what happens when, you know, you grow up a certain way or you're not given the tools a certain way that it's, it's a practice, but something in me always said, keep going. I realized that there were people that the class was touching and people that were telling me that it was really supporting their life and their process. And people would share stories with me about the ways that it did. And I just kept saying to myself, if this work is going to help at least one person, I'm going to keep going because that's it. That's, that's how we keep moving. I think it's a really beautiful moment when we digest and truly get to a place where we're okay with recognizing that we won't be a person for everyone. And in that recognition, understanding also that if you try to be a person for everyone, then you're a person for nobody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear that. And it's, it's complex though, right? Because it's easy to, to, you know, articulate and intellectualize that, but the actual going through it and understanding it's okay if, if who you are doesn't resonate with everyone. And that's deeply embedded in, in the work of the class. It's that the world needs to just show up in a different way to say, if this person doesn't resonate with me, I'm just going to let it go, but I'm not going to talk poorly and shame them and gossip Mm. and make fun of them because then that's all that real low vibrational stuff that makes people sick and stressed out beyond. And if we could just get to that point, like this person doesn't resonate with me, but I'm not going to go trash them because I feel like I want to make fun of them because I'm so unhappy inside that I'm going to talk about them. You know, if we could all start to show up and take personal accountability around that, imagine where we could go, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely hear that. And it's certainly easier said than done to just like let these judgments roll off. I mean, especially in these days of social media and connectivity, it's like every second you have an opportunity to find someone who feels some kind of way about something that you're doing, but it's finding the strength within to not let these judgments be the thing that dictates how we feel about ourselves. Yeah. 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 And that's the idea of allowing the external world to tell you what your worth is. If we're just constantly trying to see what the outside world is, that's honestly what space, that space we were talking about earlier, that quiet time gives you. It gives you time to understand yourself, that you can be so deeply connected with that, that you can get a little bit more resilient around that somebody can say something and you can flush it faster. You can move it out quicker. You don't own it as your truth, you know? So that's, you know, what that quiet space does, in my opinion. What are you looking forward to right now when it comes to the future of the class? Hmm, My goodness gracious. There's just so much that's been going on behind the scenes, you know. I definitely think that there's this thing that happened with us during um, the pandemic where suddenly we became a a digital company Mm -hmm. and it it felt like it was a divine intervention that we'd been working on the digital platform for so long before it got launched. And it really was launched about three, three, three months before lockdown. So it was, it was there. It's how do we get and allow everyone that needs this work to have access to it? 
you know, and how do we get ourselves into a place where it's not humans in, in general can understand that if we are not moving our body and differentiating between inside and outside while we move through these times, it's going to be really heavy and hard to navigate. So that's why the, you know, I say that with the intent to get, get this to as many people <laughs> as it possibly can reach and navigating that, that kind of hybrid of like in-person and digital, because we just can't be everywhere in person, you know, um, and, and how, how we can do that. I, 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 I see it, you know, I see it. Yeah. It's just yeah. getting it there. I mean, speaking of seeing right now, if someone was to go to your social media page, they would see a woman, a mama with almost 100,000 followers, founder and CEO of the class. When you look in the mirror, what is it that you see looking back at you? I mean, that's that's a very, that's an interesting question right now for me. Um, I have a, like I was saying earlier, I have a very you know, uh, I, I, I struggle a bit sometimes with the old kind of stories that come up in me that I have to talk myself into that person that you just said and locate myself. Can you give myself. me an example of that? Yeah, I just feel, I feel scared a lot and I feel like I don't and have not caught up with the fact that I've created something that is what it is. I still uh -huh. go into these cycles where I'm like, oh, it's all just going to go away one day and I'm going to be homeless, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and I think it's just a lot of stories that come up around me when I was moving around a lot when I was young and things were so hard. Um, it's just very loud. So I have to do that where I'm like, I have these two girls. I've created this community. I have wonderful people around me. I have the ability to do these things, you know? So uh, I, it's, I don't have a part of me that goes like puff the chest up and be like, oh, I feel so great about myself, you know? It's just not there. <laughs> but I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's just a part of me that is me or if that's a part of me that I'm still trying to heal or if that's a part of me that, you know, I, I very much believe in just being able to be you know, I, I know everything can change tomorrow. I don't know if that part of me that comes up is the one that doesn't want to acknowledge it because I'm scared about not having it, you know? So it, I just, I don't have the answer to that question. Do you find moments in your day-to-day -day where maybe you do feel more proud of yourself? Yeah, you know, sometimes when we have like t town halls, company-wide town halls, and we're all on you know, Zoom and we're talking about some really complex conversations or about all the things that we're doing or how, whatever it is, I, I just feel really proud of this team. Yeah. And, you know, I, and I do have a moment sometimes where I, I, I doubt myself a lot, but I have really good business instincts and I have really good instincts about people. I see things and feel things happening before they do. I've always had that weird kind of opening into a channel of something that feels very much, you know, connected to divine. Uh, I think a lot of because of practices or higher power, call it whatever it is that, that one does. But um, I think that when I, when I look around the people that I work with, 
that is when I'm able to feel proud because I say, if that person said yes to working with me, then, okay, like there's something to this because I'm so proud of this team. And I can't believe that the people that work with me work with me, you know? Sometimes I think it's like even bigger than that though, because maybe they don't say yes to working with you, but someone pulls a chair out for you at the table just to like have a seat at the table and have an opportunity, although it doesn't always like strike gold. I have these moments even in the times where, you know, I'm beside myself and I'm crying because the thing didn't come to fruition and I really wanted it so badly. And I started to think about what it could be Mm. and it doesn't happen. And of course I give myself that time to, to deal with the feelings that come hand in hand with that disappointment. But I always really, really, really try to come back to appreciating the seat at the table. Yeah. Which is hard, right? Yeah. You know, that's a really interesting thing, especially the way you said it, where you give yourself the space to process what needs to process because it's, yeah. And, and the seat, it's like, uh, it's just, what is the balance between being at the seat, having enough humility to know that anything can change every day, being grateful for what you currently have and also seeing where it can go without attaching if it doesn't go there to the word failure. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like, it's, it's, it's interesting because it's, it's like, and that's why I think it's beautiful for you to say, if it doesn't go the way you don't want it to go, that you give yourself time to process it. I think sometimes we view it as failure and it's not failure. It's just that I really believe in when things do not work out, that it's so important for us to go through the process of what we feel about it not working out and absolutely understand that it's because it's rerouting you. Yeah. And if we get hooked into this, didn't go this way instead of rerouting and allow yourself to process it and move forward, it's only in reflection. Do you look at it and go, Oh, that made sense. Right. But when you're in it, Oh, Oh, (laughs) <laughs> it's that top of the burpee ugh, oh, moment. Yes. yes. Ah, well, as we wind down here, the way that I end every episode is by asking the same question. Right now, Taryn, you mentioned the beginning of this pandemic being a really difficult time for you and having trouble for maybe the first time or more so and having trouble maybe more so at that point then in the months leading up to it, finding some grace with that stillness. You have an opportunity right now to offer yourself a piece of advice looking back on that hurdle moment. What do you tell you? It's going to be okay. Take it day by day. I feel like that's like a mantra that I would be able to repeat to myself like every <laughs> moment when I get to my desk. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much for your time today, for your energy. So many beautiful takeaways from this conversation. How do the hurdlers keep up with you? How do they follow along with you and the class? Give us all the details. Yes. So you can go to the class.com and the digital platform has a two week free trial. There's 120 live stream classes a week. 
which is so fun because you just know you're doing it with people all over the world. And then we have an on-demand uh, library with music collaborations and little, we have classes for kids. We have meditations. We have yoga nidras, all the things. Um, theclass.com is the website where the digital studio lives, as well as ways to sign up for in-person classes in New York. We're building a studio in LA that will hopefully open in January. Um, we're the class on social media. I'm just Taryn Toomey. I don't have a big presence on there personally because I've had to pull back. But uh, yeah, you can find us in all those spaces. I love that 100,000 people is in a big presence. <laughs> I'm over at Emily Abadi and at Hurdle Podcast. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time. Mm-hmm.